Hey everyone, welcome back to the Tailwinds and Sunshine podcast. This is the grand finale, 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 finale of the <laughs> of a three-part series uh, of a conversation with my friend Daniel Sims. If you haven't listened to part one or part two, make sure you go down to the show page and download part one and part two so you can listen to that first. Just a little review of what happened on part one and part two. Part one, it was just a conversation of my friend's aviation career. Then after that, we went into part two. We talk about our favorite airplanes. Also, he talks about his training in the 777 for a cargo airline. He's going to be flying that beautiful beast, flying cargo all over the world. He also shares his experience in training at SkyWest. And he gives us tips on how to survive airline training. If this is your first time at an airline, he gives us some good pointers there. We have a conversation regarding instruction and a student instruction relations. Not those kinds of relations, but the kind kind that you want to have with your instructor to make sure you succeed. And today, we talk about the trends in aviation, more specifically about the incidents that happened recently the close calls we had and how the FAS handled it. So that's that's coming up next on today's episode. Hey folks from the flight deck, this is your captain speaking. Welcome to the Tailwinds and Sunshine podcast where we talk everything aviation. I am your host, Manny Ramirez. It's always a pleasure to have you on board. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. point about kind of sacrificing the quality of your training when you're in a program that kind of just we call it a pilot mill so where you just kind of go through it really quick because i think that when you go through those training programs that their goal is to push you out as soon as possible they kind of you're kind of devoid of experience because the only the only source of experience or i think one of the few i should say and i don't don't know what you think is time is you know you get experience by the time that you build. So most of yeah. the schools is a, hey, the least amount of hours you can get it done so you can push you out and get the minimum hour requirements per the FAA so you can get your certificate. But I think that taking your time or a little bit longer and taking you know kind of a nice pace where it's not super rushed definitely gains you experience that you may not be able to get by, let's say, finishing your certificate. And this is just an example like 50 hours as opposed to like closer to a hundred, you know, there's more, there's yeah. definitely more experiences that you build, you know, flying a little bit more. And like you said, I think it's, uh, the quality of flying may not, it, not, it might not be the case. There's not, it's not, this is not in like an official report or a study, but I feel like that's been the case. And I'm going to talk about, about that specific thing about experience and how it affects our aviation industry. How has it been affecting it? And so the next topic I want to talk on is the trend of aviation we see recently. Uh, The previous episodes, you guys have heard me talk about several incidents that have happened here in the United States. The JFK incident with the American 777 crossing an active runway while a Delta 737 was taking off. We also had the FedEx plane coming in for a Cat 3 ILS to runway 1A left in Austin. As a, a Southwest 737 was taking off, they, they came within 100 feet of each other. And now, yeah, and now, and now we had something that came to light from something that happened back in December, uh, December 18th of last year of 2022, 
where a United 777 taking out of Maui, once it reached around 2,200 feet, it plummeted to almost seven or like just 775 feet over the ocean. That's crazy. So we're seeing all these close calls recently, and and there most of them have been pilot error. They're, the crew, there's a breakdown in CRM. There's something gone awry with the crews of these aircraft that have caused, or in one case, air traffic control. But as a whole, it has been a human error factor. So there's been human error that has caused these close calls. And I actually just came out to uh, came across some information from one of my students and they say, and again, this is not verified, might be just a rumor, but it sounds like the incident in Maui with the United 777, it was pilot induced. So, so some say that it was weather because at the time when this uh, United flight from, it was flying from Maui to San Francisco, roughly around the same time or a couple hours before, I don't remember, recall the exact timeline, there was a Hawaiian Airlines Airbus A330 descending into Maui, and they went through some serious convective activity where they actually experienced severe turbulence and passengers were actually injured. So right, we, heard, yeah. we heard about that incident in the news when it happened because there were injuries involved. People ask, well, why didn't we hear about this 777 you know, at the time? It's because there was no injuries. There was no investigation launched uh, for the uh, incident for the United. But there was. Because of the fact that there was injuries, then it has to be reported to the NTSB or the National Transportation Safety Board. But the United one, there was no injuries. There was no incident per se. They didn't break any rules. But now because it came to light, passengers started you know, reporting it to the media. Uh, I don't know how it came to be or how they found out about it. But anyways, now the NTSB is going to be investigating. And they're, you know, because it's unionized and everything, there was really no action taken because there was no rules broken. No one got injured. And I'm sure the pilots did an ASAP report. Um, I forgot what ASAP stands for. Do you remember what ASAP stands for? Aviation Safety Action Program. Yeah, there you go. There you go. That's it. So that's reported. (laughs) This ASAP program is reported to NASA. And every time you, you file an ASAP report, you actually get a nice letter from NASA. I remember that I got an envelope from NASA in the mail. I was like, what? What is this about? And I open it up and they're just thanking me for reporting, you know, something that happened. I was like, oh, and it doesn't have to be something serious. It can be something you're just kind of reporting something you thought it was abnormal or something that you could have done better. And you're self-reporting to the ASAP program. That's kind of redundant if ASAP is kind of like saying ATM machine. (laughs) And then, you know, they process all that data and they mine this data to make sure that we have, if they see trends happening, then the the uh, NTSB and the FAA get involved, or the FAA, and they make bulletins and stuff like that. So that's cool. And speaking of bulletins, the FAA uh, came out recently, actually on the 14th of February, just a couple of days ago, they put out a memo. And that memo, it was put out by the acting administrator of the FAA, Billy Nolan, and it was a safety call to action. So I'm going to read that real quick and what that uh, what that is all about. So it says, we are experiencing the safest period in aviation history, but we cannot take this for granted. Recent events remind us that we must not become complacent. Now it is a time to stare into that data and ask hard questions. 
We must ensure that our structure is fit for purpose for the U.S. aerospace system of both today and the future. That's why I'm forming a safety review team to examine the U.S. aerospace system's structure, culture, processes, systems, and integration of safety efforts. The initial focus will be to hold a safety summit in March to examine what additional actions the aviation community needs to take to maintain our safety record. A group of commercial and general aviation leaders, labor partners, and others will examine which mitigations are working and why others appear to be not as effective as they once were. Second, I'm asking the commercial aviation safety team to take a fresh look at aviation safety information analysis and sharing data. We need to mine the data to see whether there are other incidents that resemble ones we have seen in recent weeks. And we need to see if there are indicators of emerging trends so we can focus on resources to address now. Finally, the review team will focus on the Air Traffic Organization, ATO. The review team will assess ATO's internal processes, systems, and operational integration. I will ask them I will ask the team to explore actions needed to reinforce a collaborative, data-driven safety culture. The review will also look for opportunities to strengthen the connection between ATO and the FAA Aviation Safety Organization for monitoring and addressing of safety risks. I know that all of you share my goal to do what is necessary to keep our organization strong, effective, and well-prepared to take on the safety challenges of the future. We know that our aviation system is changing dramatically. Now is the time to act. So, uh, Billy Nolan didn't make a specific... Uh, pointed at specific events, but we know exactly why. We know exactly what happened and what events he's uh, referring to. And more specifically, I think this memo, I think the United incident happened in Maui was kind of the, the straw that broke the camel's back. And I think this is why it's put out. So based on this information, so why do you think, why do you think these things are happening? Why now? Why are we getting all these close calls? What, what do you, what's your theory? Well, I think it's, uh, like you mentioned earlier, the United event, there's a chance that uh, it was pilot error. Um, and, and you know, since most of the accidents and incidents that do occur are pilot-induced, um, I think we're just going to see that trend upwards um, in the near future since uh, we're getting a lot of new airline pilots coming into the industry. Um, training and experience levels are not as high as they used to be. Um, we're kind of hitting an experience low right now. Um, so I think, I think the FAA and, uh, is very just aware of this, you know, situation, this problem, and they're trying to get ahead of the curve by, um, or ahead of the problem just by releasing this call to action to just kind of shine a light on it and, um, and make sure that, uh, you know, and no more incidents turn into serious accidents. Right. And yeah, I agree. I think there's a lack of experience now. I think after COVID or during COVID, so the airlines or the government bailed out the airlines once again, and they retired. So they gave a lot of very senior experienced pilots the option to retire early. So we ended up kind of dumping our experience out the window Again, it was a financial decision, right, for the airlines to stay alive. And so we devoided ourselves of all this experience now. So I, and I don't know if you heard this before, Daniel, but I've heard a, a really good quote. I forget who said it to me, but it's, I know multiple pilots have heard this. They said that when you become a pilot, you are handed two bags. One 
it's full it's full of tr- uh luck and the other one it's a bag empty which is devoid of, of experience Oh. No, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Too. Yeah, full of cash. <laughs> so you have one bag that's full of luck, and the other one is devoid of experience. And your goal, yes. your goal is to fill that bag, empty bag, with experience before your luck runs out. So I think with that's a popular saying. Yeah, so I think that with a lot of new pilots, and especially in the regional industry, we're seeing a lot of fresh FOs. We're seeing we're seeing a lot of junior uh junior pilots on the bigger aircraft that were typically historically very senior so you see guys like daniel going now into the triple seven you see pilots i have a friend and a uh, a friend of mine that is now him and his brother actually are in the triple seven and they are you know they're very young they're very new to this they're very junior to this and now we have captains that have to go through uh, most of the cap a lot of the captains that i've flown with they say yeah a lot of our fo's are pretty junior so it can be also the the void of experience now you also have kind of like a load of work put on these captains that not only they have to look after themselves but they have to look up to these younger fo's or newer fo's does it's not necessarily have to be age related and so you have the incident with the united uh triple seven out of maui the rumor is that this FO was relatively new, not new as in to the company, but new to the aircraft. And another one was the incident in New York, the American Airlines, the FO was said that the they, she only had about 100 hours in the plane. So she had switched fleets. And so that's kind of, again, the experience where we're kind of going into an industry where we're now we're lacking experience because of the high turnover of pilots. And we're trying to, because of the recovery from COVID was faster than expected, airlines have been rushing to hire as many people as possible to fill that void. But that void now is being filled with pilots that are not necessarily as experienced. So I think it's a trend. Eventually, I think it's going to level itself out. But I definitely think that it's going to take a while. And I'm glad the FA, like you said, that it's getting ahead of the problem to find out you know, what the common theme is here of what it was causing these close calls. And I think they're going to find out that it's just the experience and, and the fact that perhaps they're not, they're not slowing down. I think that these problems can be mitigated if we're a little bit more aware of situational awareness. And I'm going to talk about those um, self-awareness in a little bit. So I kind of alluded to a little bit of a solution to this, but how do you think we can fix this? If we got, we don't have experience or we're lacking a little bit of experience. How do you think we can fix it? How can we how can we um, get ahead of the uh, get ahead of the airplane here? Yeah, I mean, it just it requires uh, being proactive, both on the part of you know the new pilots coming in, but uh, also the airline uh, airline management as well as you know the government. Um, it requires taking steps to make sure that um, the training uh, department uh, still has high standards and um and that the government has is staying steadfast on the laws that they put in place to require you know certain experience levels i don't know if you heard but uh, a while back you know i think it was republic airways requested um that the 1500 hour rule be dropped Mm -hmm. or or lowered um and uh i i'm for one i'm kind of glad that uh that that was kind of overturned and denied, but, um, cause I think that, um, 
the experience um, that that minimum level of experience is important going in for new pilots. Yeah, but I think it just requires you know being proactive from all parties. Yeah, proactive, uh, being proactive. The whole fifteen hundred hour thing is a whole discussion and a whole episode of its own because it's it's pretty deep. It goes deep. Yeah, and but I think experience. From my perspective, I think that we need to have a culture more of being able to speak up. I think it's gotten way better, but it's just being self-aware of when you're becoming saturated or when you're becoming – when things start going – getting away from you as far as do you understand what you're doing and why you're doing it or being able to manage distractions so that way you can understand or at least get a better picture of what's happening. Uh, I think that with the American Airlines incident at JFK, they blamed or the pilots blamed the new procedures that the management had put in place. So they have all these new procedures and stuff. And they they were saying how they were tasked or this pilot was tasked saturated with all these things. But I think a simple, hey, I'm in the yellow could have prevented, maybe could have prevented this incident and say, hey, let's stop what we're doing right now. Let's stop ta- stop taxing. Let's get this taken care of and move on. Yeah, and it kind of goes back to like the Swiss cheese model, right? It's right. not just a single point of failure, right? You know, all accidents occur because of um, points of failure in lots of different areas or departments, right? Um, so, yeah, you're absolutely because right. be, because if we don't have the experience, we have to take things slower. We have to understand that hey, I'm not very familiar with this aircraft or this airport, or so we have to slow things down. I know we have operational yeah. constraints on us as far as making on time departures, etc. But safety, safety is paramount when we do these kinds of yeah, things. And unfortunately, there is that like financial pressure to yeah. you know depart on time and arrive on time. Right, so it's. It's, you know, it's always going to be a battle. But you know what's what's great is that I've never felt, personally, I've never felt that my company has pressed me to do something unsafe. I've no. flown with captains yeah, and they either. said, you know what, let's just take it slow. Let's just go ahead and uh, run the checklist even slower or let's go over it again just to make sure we covered everything. But I've never felt the pressure, but I've definitely felt overwhelmed, especially when I just started IOE and I came out of it. And for all you pilots out there, I'm sure anytime you fly on your plane, you your 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 vision or your your peripheral vision closes very is very narrow. So all you can see basically is just your PFD or your main instrument, your flight instrument, and that's all you see because you're so focused on flying and you're so and you feel like you can be task saturated. And for me, yeah. that was the same thing when I was flying. You know, I felt like I was not as comfortable because it was a brand new plane to me as well. And it's so important that when this starts to happen is that you communicate that with the other pilot saying, hey, can we just uh, stop here or do that? And I felt like there's been times where I was like, okay, you know, things, you know, I kind of feel like I'm behind a plane. But, and then we stop and we say, okay, we kind of bring back together because we talk about the whole uh, shared mental model, making sure that both pilots are on the same page. And so it's very important to point that out. That I, yeah, it's it's perfectly normal to feel overwhelmed, but you have to communicate that when you start becoming task saturated. Yeah, I think a common point of failure in airline training is actually people getting tunnel visioned, or they're trying to rush uh, in a situation that might be maybe like an emergency, or they feel like they need to act quickly, and that's when mistakes start to happen. 
because uh, you start missing stuff. Yeah. yeah, you you actually have more time than you think usually in the plane. Yeah. Um, even though these planes that we're flying are pretty complicated, they have lots of different systems. Um, typically, you know, given a situation, you have a bit more time than you think to to make decisions and act them out. Right. And just because, and people are surprised. I remember when I went through maneuvers training and we had my first V1 cut or my engine failure, it was surprising how long it took before we actually dealt with the fire. So they gave us an engine fire and we sat there literally still flying the airplane and making call outs before we ever touched the fire handle. Like there's a memory item for it, but as far as actually taking care of the fire, and rotating the the fire handle so you can fire the bottle, it, it took a while. So I was very surprised. But it's so important, I think, to emphasize the fact that if you are feeling saturated or you're distracted, it's just stop it right there and just take a moment, make some time so you can cover what you need to cover before you move on. Because when you don't communicate that, that's when things start falling apart. And when you have multiple distract uh, distractions or people not paying attention is when things like, you know, the Americans, you know, or the, uh, the American incident happened that, you know, th- again, that's just my theory based on what happened. Um, that's going to be its own investigation on its own. And we'll see what happens, but I don't know if we'll ever hear what actually happened. So, so I just kind of mentioned how we deal with that. Uh, just to slow it down, communicate with the other pilot and letting them know, Hey, I'm not, if you're a student, you know, as a, as a private student or instrument or commercial, you're learning and it's okay to feel that way, but you need to communicate as like, Hey, I'm not necessarily picking up what you're saying because I'm kind of overwhelmed. So that way the instructor can scale back the instruction and kind of give you information a little bit more, you know, bite-sized pieces instead of giving you a bunch, because it is, it can feel super overwhelming to learn something new. And if you have the instructor talking your ear off and you have, uh, all these things you want to learn, it can be overwhelming then that you're not learning. So you make sure you communicate exactly. your, how you feel with your instructor or the other pilot you're flying with to making sure that you, you're both on the same page and we can stop what we're doing. Cause I've, I've told, uh, you know, captains, they say, Hey, I don't, I, you know, I brief it. I said, Hey, you know what? It's kind of the last le- leg of the day. Um, keep an eye out for me in case I miss a radio call. And, or if I don't understand something, Typically, I say, well, let me let me tell you what I understand based on what you tell me and see what if that's OK. And then if they're if I'm not a clear, then we the captain will reiterate what they wanted or what they wanted me to understand. And then we get on the same page. Super important. I think that's super important. Let's talk about this. Uh, oh, shit. Moments. Oh, I said a bad word. But anyways, <laughs> so it's moments that you go, whoa, like, you know, I, I have one in specific when I was a CFI for me. Uh a student of mine almost placed us on a spin. It was kind of the entry mm. portion of it, and I, rec- I took the controls and recovered. But that would, for me was like, wow, like I can't believe this happened. Like you trained for it, but you never expected it happening to you. Have, what kind of do you, have you ever had one of those kind of moments before? Um, uh, nothing. Well, I've had times when I've had like engine roughness in flight, and I wasn't sure if my engine was going to quit or not or why it was running rough. Mm. Um, but thankfully it didn't turn into like a super serious situation. Yeah. Um, I've also had like turb, like severe turbulence in flight where like my head crashes against the top of the, the aircraft and my headset just flies off into the baggage compartment. Dang. Um, <laughs> I've but, never had that kind of, I've never experienced turbulence that bad. I think only once we just no. had like downdrafts and yeah, that was, that was kind of crazy. Uh, I was with a student and 
we could not climb. There was just this downwash coming from the mountains and we could not escape it. So, and we were, we were heading towards rising terrain. So I'm yeah. just like, nope, flip the 180 and headed towards lower terrain. <laughs> and just like, we were full power and still descending. And I'm like, oh my God. Like, I'm like, that's not cool. So yeah, but. Dude, I'm telling you, flying flying in a single engine piston aircraft that's not a high performing uh, aircraft is can be scary sometimes, you know, yeah. if you're not careful. And if you don't know what you're doing, you got to make sure you got to plan what you're doing pretty well ahead of time. So you right. don't find yourself in a sticky situation. Um, but I have also found myself uh, flying in mountainous terrain at night. For example, when uh, we would do our flights to and from the uh, competitions back when I was in university on the flight team. Yeah. Um, we would we would very often do these long flights uh, all throughout the day and all throughout the night. And sometimes we would be flying through like Arizona um, in uh, very high mountainous terrain at night. And, um, and that can be quite scary too. Yeah. I never got a chance of doing mountain, uh, mountain flying when I was doing my private pilot training. I did it out of uh, Colorado Springs in Colorado. And we're just like right next to the front range of the Rockies. And I never Mm -hmm. got to fly because it can be, it's very, it's dangerous and can be, the weather has to be perfect for you to fly mountainous terrain. Um, because of the downdrafts and possible severe turbulence you can encounter. So I, every time that I would ask my instructor to let's go get a checkout for mountain flying, he, we look at the weather. It's like, yeah, not today. <laughs> we couldn't do it. I also want to make sure people understand that we're talking about flying planes that don't go very high. Like these light aircrafts only go up to like 12,000 feet or right. so. Yeah. Um, where mountain peaks, you know, in some areas go even higher than that. Um, so we're not talking about flying like airliner type aircraft here. These massive planes that yes. can easily climb. Yeah, 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 that's true. Yeah, these small planes really struggle at higher altitudes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, especially, and that's where the worst of the turbulence is for these things most of the time. Uh, it's right below the mountain, the, uh, right the, below the mountaintop. So super dangerous. But it's so surprising that I remember that incident with the, you know, getting almost into a spin how I reacted to it. Like I was surprised that I was able to recover because of my training kicked in all this training you do. Mm-hmm. You always question your, Oh, at least me, I question myself. like, will I ever, will I ever be able to do this? And the answer is yes. All your training is going to kick in. You're going to be able to handle in any situation or most situations with the incident. With I don't the- know. I think that, I think that answer is different for, but I think it depends from person to person. Cause I've, some people I'm sure are prone to just like freezing up, you know, that's true in the cockpit. Yeah. Do you, I'm sure like you wouldn't freeze up, but uh, I've definitely had some students where, you know, it's, it's been a struggle and we train and train and train to do something, but then they, they just freeze up when the time. Oh man. Either on a check ride or. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was like, I was surprised. Like, okay, well your training kicks in and that's what your training is for is we're preparing you in case in an, in uh, in an abnormal situation or emergency, you can handle it. But I think the most important kind of a spin is a little bit different because you have to act immediately. Otherwise you're going to put yourself in a spin, but most situations. And I always tell this, I don't know if I told your class when you were going through training, but I like to say that if you're going to panic, panic slowly, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, hopefully you don't freeze, but at least take a deep, yeah. uh, deep, a couple deep breaths and then handle the situation, especially if you have yeah. altitude. So altitude and speed are your friends. 
So the lower you are to the ground and the slower you are, the faster you have to react, you know, because, you know, you don't want to hit the ground. But if you got altitude, now we're talking airline operations or, you know, operation in the flight levels, unless the plane starts falling apart, you have a lot of time, even with a fire. So make sure that when you're going through training is that we, you know, you take a deep breath, still fly the plane. We always, you know, aviate, navigate, communicate, and just run through the procedure and you should be good. Um, and if you do freeze, hopefully taking a, deep, a couple of deep breaths will kind of snap you out of it and you, you should be able to do your training. Yeah. Cool. So now last topic I want to talk about is something that is more kind of for the general public and for myself as well. I just kind of want to, uh, I want to criticize it, I guess. I don't know what you think. So Frontier recently came out with this unlimited pass. And so it sounds, I heard about that. so it sounds like a I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm already just by the way of my tone of my voice. It sounds like I'm, you know, kind of against it. I don't know what you think, <laughs> but I don't know. It's uh, kind of sounding that way. Yeah. So <laughs> I looked at it and I went to the frontier website. So basically the, the, the concept of this, uh, or what frontier wants you to think is called the go wild. All you can fly, go wild. All you can fly pass. And they have two options. It's kind of catchy. Yeah. Go wild. I know. <laughs> and with their whole animal theme and stuff, you know, it's just perfect. They're really good at marketing. I'll tell you that. I they really, are really good at marketing. They're really good at marketing. And I love their liveries. Yes, I do love them too. I, I flew, actually, I, I went, I parked next to uh, one of their, I was commuting on Frontier and I parked one of their newest uh, A321s, the Neos, like the brand new yeah. one. Oh my God, it was so nice. That's an, such it's a nice beautiful. plane. It's a beautiful plane. <laughs> so they have two passes. They have the summer pass, which starts from May 2nd of this year to September 30th of this year. And that goes for $400 for 400 bucks. The annual pass is pretty much from May 2nd all the way to the uh, end of the year. And that costs you 1300 bucks. And I, it sounds like a good plan, but I think you should really take a good hard look at yourself in the mirror and see if this is something for you, because I don't know about you, but I have probably a couple of subscriptions on, on my credit card somewhere that I never use. <laughs> like I have some that I just don't use. And so is yeah. this something are you going to use or not? So let me give you the, the, um, let me give you some of the highlights of this. So this, uh, there's things you should know frontier says, uh, they have a pretty extensive list of blockout dates. So that's blockout dates. Also, the flights can only be booked and confirmed a day before flight departure for domestic travel and starting 10 days before flight departure for international travel. So that's kind of, you can't plan ahead. You have to buy, you can plan ahead, but as far as you can only book it a day before. So guess what? What if that, what if that flight is booked already full? Out of luck, right? So now here's another one flights. Okay. that has to be booked at frontier.com. Okay. That's cool. Uh, blackout dates has got a pretty extensive list. Uh, for blockout dates uh, in mostly the holiday season. So peak travel season, peak travel times. Nope, you're not going to be able to go anywhere. Also, flights, this is the big one for me. Flights do not include any add-on products like bags or seats. That's the most expensive part of frontier flying or spare flying is the bags and the seats. Yeah. Or you want to buy food is like, okay, cool. Taxes and fees and charges apply at the time of booking. So now on top of you have to pay taxes that fine. Even non-revers get to do that. A fare of one cent will be charged for each segment book. That's just a joke. 
They charge you a penny. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Probably just to make sure your credit card still works. Probably. That, uh... <laughs> Pro- I don't know. Yeah, probably. It says travel not eligible to earn miles or status. Oh my! You're paying money. Why should you not get the miles? That's my. That's my. Uh, I don't know. That's my opinion. And let me see what else. So the only thing that allows you to do is to qualify as a, uh, your qualifies as activity and will extend your frontier miles expiration. Okay, so your miles won't expire. It'll just kind of push back your expiration date. Uh, let's see what else. It'll renew that. So those are the big ones. Those are the big ones. So unless it's a lot of information there. Yeah. So unless you're flying, even if you're flying constantly, like I did the math based on like a hundred dollars of uh, flight, like just paying just straight a hundred bucks for the $400. You have to fly like four times a month to make it worthwhile. Have you ever flown four times a month, like paying to go somewhere? No, no, no. I've never flown. <laughs> unless I'm working. Exactly. <laughs> unless we're working as pilots, we don't get to fly. Now, unless you have no job and you're a stay at home dad or mom that just, you know, or you got a sugar daddy or sugar mama or whatever, you don't have to work and you're flying four times a month. Now, granted, I mean, that's kind of four legs, right? So two and from that's two trips. But even then that's a hundred bucks and frontier and spirit have pretty low rates to begin with. But I think where they make their money is the bags and the seats. They're ridiculous. Yeah. Like uh, Frontier, I think there's like $60 for a checked in bag. That's one leg, one way. One bag, yep. 60 bucks. It's, it's crazy. And then also, I think they charge like something ridiculous, like $40 or $50 for a carry on. So forget. You know, you know, you know who I think this, uh, this deal caters to? Who? I think it caters to the, the older retired generation who live near a Frontier hub. Okay. And and they just have like the next five months free to do nothing <laughs> but vacation and just go on trips for like a day or two where they don't need to check in a bag. Yeah. So I think that's exactly the type of crowd that uh, Frontier is trying to market to. So it's a very niche crowd. Okay. But, uh, yeah. Very niche. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you're saying the the kind of retired crowd that don't have to need, don't need to take a pack pack a bag, huh? Exactly. Interesting. Yeah. They have a lot of time on their hands. I guess. I mean, if that description, you know, if that fits, if you fit that description, you know, that you don't have to carry anything or you're just going, you know, if you have a house in Fort Lauderdale and in Denver, you know, and you're just, you're just going home or whatever and coming back and forth, I guess that would make more sense. But it's just for me. Yeah. All uh, of you, all of you above the age of 60 listening to this podcast, <laughs> listen up. This is, this is important. This is for you. Go wild. This is for you. Go wild with your traveling. <laughs> yeah. So I think in addition, I think it's a way of Frontier to get some capital up front too, because, you know, cash is king. So if they can get that money up front from passengers is the best. So for passengers like myself, I don't know, will this, would you, would you be interested in something like that? Um, I mean, as a, as a passenger, because as a pilot, we get free flights right. you know, to, to fly wherever we want. So free, make sense free in me. quotes, free in quotes, free. Yeah. I put free, I was doing air quotes. I don't know if you saw it there, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, but for the average passenger, I, you know, it's, it would most likely not be a good deal. Like you just have to meet so much, so many different criteria of, you know, of um, frontier flying where you want to go, like where you want to vacation. And you would have to fly pretty often within that those months where, um, you, you know, before the pass expires um, that, you know, it isn't for everybody. Yeah. I mean, it's unfortunately. You, yeah. And then on top of that, it has all the blockout dates, which include the 
most, you know, the busy travel season. So even the holiday, yeah, major holidays, yeah. that out of the question. So forget yeah. about visiting the grandkids on, you know, for uh, Thanksgiving or Christmas because, nope, you're not going unless you're paying for the ticket yourself. So Exactly. Um, you know what this does remind me of, though? What's up? I don't know if you remember, but that uh, I think American Airlines once offered an unlimited pass uh, many, many years ago. Really? Um, but that never had an expiration date. Yeah. Did you ever hear about that? No. Yeah, there was another airline. Um, I I want to say it was American Airlines. It might have been like United or someone else. But they offered an, an unlimited pass. But that one actually didn't have an expiration date. And I think the cost was set much higher, or the price was set much higher at around like a thousand or, or like five thousand um, dollars. And a couple people, like really wealthy people, uh, bought into it, and it ended up it ended up being pretty famous because it, it was a huge like profit loss for that airline. Oh wow! Um, they lost so much money on it because of course those travelers are going to travel for free Hell as yeah. much as they can. Um, so. That's what this reminds me of. Uh, but the, this Frontier Pass is definitely not as good as a deal. No. Not as good of a deal. No, I'm sure they learned from the past. If the, the you know, and they say, yeah, we're not going to lose money on this. So it's about them. I feel like it's, I honestly think this is like a casino. The house rules win here. So I think the winner is going to come out being Frontier, not necessarily the passenger, I think. They're, because there's a lot of restrictions. So... Like Daniel said, I think it's a very niche uh, target group that they're focusing this on. Although, if you look at the uh, the Frontier website, you have uh, you know a couple in the beach, you know, I'm sorry, a couple in the airplane holding hands, they're all smiling, you know. You have uh, palm trees, and you have you know, so it's it's it, it definitely they make it seem sounder than the better. I mean, it's a really niche, but I think for most of us, all my friends at the very least, I don't think this is for them. Definitely don't yeah. think this is for them and not for me at the very least. But yeah, because uh, like you mentioned earlier, we we get flights. Uh, we just basically pay tax. Well, actually, no. For me at the very least with some of them, I don't pay anything. If I'm not, if I'm uh, commuting, I don't, we don't pay anything. If you're commuting I as far, I don't pay anything when I jump seat. <laughs> no, well, yeah, exactly. When you jump seat, you don't pay anything, but when you're non revving or when you're on the standby list for that, you have to pay a certain fee. Um, and some of them you don't have to you just pay taxes pretty much that's pretty much so it's really really I sweet. no longer get non-revving benefits which is so sad what? I miss those what do you mean those benefits through where well because well, um I think the only reason you get non-revving benefits at Skywest is because you work uh, you know under um you you have contracts with partners right right yes but uh, with other airlines, at least for the airline that I work at, uh, we don't have those contracts. So we don't have non-revving benefits. Right. I, I can jump seat. Well, so do, I still you have guys, those privileges. You guys don't have Zed or ID90? Uh, well, we do. We have um, ID90. Okay. Uh, and that's how we jump seat. But it's it's different from non-revving. Interesting. Or from oh. flying standby, if that well, makes sense. Well, there you go. So when you go cargo, you may not necessarily have other <laughs> – I mean, I don't know what the limitations of that. That's something about cargo that you know I didn't know about. I was like, oh, I thought you had some agreements with other airlines that you probably could non-rev. But, uh, yeah, jump seating is a cool, uh, cool perk that we have. So I can we can jump seat wherever airline we have, any airline out there, even even – no, I don't know about international. But anyways, yeah, we have pretty much any option in, in the U.S. to jump seat in any airline that we want. Yeah. Yeah. Where have you traveled lately? Where have you gone? Oh, man, I've used my time off to uh, 
to go places. I've I went to Hawaii on a trip recently. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, where um, in, where in Hawaii did you go? Uh, I went to Kauai, so the Garden Island up north. Okay, um, one of the most the rainiest islands, except it was beautiful and sunny when I was there. That's cool. Yeah, uh, highly recommend it for anyone who hasn't been to Hawaii so far. If you need a getaway place, yes, um, I would I would avoid Oahu, the big island, because that just feels like like a big san francisco or la city yeah um but uh Kauai, and Kauai's kind of slowly getting more and more populated and more touristy but uh right now it's beautiful yeah have you been to any, any... i've also gone up to uh, seattle okay seattle so you went to hawaii seattle and where else have you been so recently uh out of places i've flown i think those are just uh those are the only two places uh, i'm planning a trip down to santa barbara soon Santa Barbara. Um, doing that. Yeah, I love Santa Barbara. Anytime I get a chance, I had instrument students that uh, we do a cross country, we'd go to Santa. So I, what I would do for IFR is I take them to Southern California for like a couple days. So we take out, we get a plane, we get it approved from the school, and we fly to Southern California and just introduce them to SoCal approach. So I'd start, you know, just get them in the deep, just to- throw them out the deep end, go to Southern California. And I always make Santa Barbara one of my stops. They have, uh, it's, you know, it's super important to get that communication experience with ATC and busy airspace. Yeah. Yes, yes, and I think SoCal is one of the busiest airspace out there, and it's a it's oh, a yeah. really good experience. And uh, I would go to Santa Barbara because I'd go to this ice cream shop. I forgot the name of it off the top of my head, but they had the best strawberry milkshake. I always have to go and get that milkshake. I go, and so yeah, I have to go there. All right, so I'm, I'm definitely hitting you up later. You're going to need to send me that. Yes, that yes, I will. I know, and I know where to find. It. If I Google it, I, I'll find it right off the bat. But I love it. I go for my strawberry milkshake there in Santa Barbara. And um, but yeah, have <laughs> you? So I'm actually planning a trip here. I'm actually going to Kona next week. Really? Yeah, I'm going to Kona. That's, that's exciting. Yeah, first time. I've been to Maui. I've been to Oahu, and yeah, I'm going to Kona. So I'm going to go visit Kona and Hilo. And All right, did you hear that, guys? No podcast next week. He's yeah. gonna, or maybe maybe you're doing a podcast from the beach of, uh, yeah. of Kona. Yeah. Maybe, we'll yeah. just hear the ocean sounds yeah, in the like, background. Sh- sh- yeah, maybe. I don't know. So I might because I, I have to, you know, we'll see what happens. But I've um, been trying to get, you know, it's, it's just been super busy. And sometimes I just get lazy and I don't do it. And I say, I got to do this. I got to start editing <laughs> stuff and I don't do it. So, but hopefully we'll see. Maybe we'll have an episode, a special episode from Hawaii. Uh, well, we'll see. Well, Daniel, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I learned so much about you. So, so super excited. Yeah. My pleasure, man. And anytime, like I said, next time we talk next, next episode that you're going to come on, you're going to have some serious time on that triple seven. You're going to tell us all about it. I'm excited to, to, to share my experiences. I'm excited to fly the plane. Heck but, yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank you. I'm super peanut butter and jealous, man. Uh, that's a, that's like one of my dream plans. I was like, oh, man, I want to do that. So that's pretty cool. Daniel, thank you once again for being on the show. Uh, and guys, everyone, thank you so much for your support. I appreciate it. And I'll see you in the next episode. See ya. Sup, nerds? Before I let you go, I have a task for you. I have a challenge. If you can go to the platform where you're listening to this podcast in and go ahead and leave a review, just tap that star, whether it's a five star, I like that very much, or a four, or a three, or two, or a one. It doesn't matter as, as long as you leave a review and some criticism so I can improve this podcast because I want the Tailwinds and Sunshine podcast to be your podcast. 
So go ahead and leave that review now. I also want to give a huge shout out to my friends and coworkers for sharing the podcast with their friends and family. That means the world to me. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. Also, if you want to be part of the show, go ahead and hit me up. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. We'll make that show happen. We'll make you a friend of the show. Until next time, wishing you tailwinds and sunshine. See ya! The statements made on the show are my own opinion and do not necessarily reflect those of my employer.